you've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Today my guest is Stacy, a returning favorite. <laughs> we are talking about spooky shows. Some would say that the supernatural genre got a much-needed shot in the arm with Stranger Things. It takes place in the 80s, has a bunch of spooky stuff in it. But there was a show over a decade earlier that was doing spooky powers in a period setting as well. And that show is called Carnival that was on HBO. We watched the first two episodes of both shows. Let's start with Stranger Things. There have been a total of four seasons. What's your relationship to the show as things stand? Once the first season came out, I think I binge-watched that, and I enjoyed it so much. And I felt like I had to wait, like, was it about two years for the next one to come out? I was heartbroken. It loses a lot of momentum between seasons, taking too long. Definitely does. Because then that led to season two, taking too long, but at the same time feeling rushed towards the end. And then season three, ah, man. Started watching it, and it didn't hook me like season one and two did. I want to say it premiered in 2019, and when you're dealing with a cast of characters where a lot of them are children, it's really detrimental to wait years between seasons. Yeah. Where they just age and age. They look like they should already be collecting social security. (laughs) (laughs) Season three was a while ago. Do you still have love in your heart for the show? Are you going to catch up at some point? I will catch up at some point, but I have to finish season three, which is a struggle right now. Getting over that hump of season three to make it to season four, because I believe season four is another good one. The third season blew so hard. I don't care if season four and five are masterpieces. Three was such an insult to my intelligence. Oh, dang. Squandered all the goodwill built with the first year. And the second year, that was a little bit of a sophomore slump. Could have brought it out in the third. And instead, they made so many weird choices. I'm done with it. I'm done. Oh, no. You gotta go back and watch season four eventually. You gotta join me in this. We stuck it out this far. You gotta complete the series. I've been through the war. You haven't (laughs) yet. Finish season three and then tell me if you want some more after that. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into the first season specifically. Give me a light summary of what happens in the first few. I love the opening of episode one. Like, the opening catches you right off the bat. Scientist is in a lab. Something goes wrong. And then he just dies. Cut to some little kids playing D&D. I never played D&D, but I bet that's an 80s thing. But as they quit the session, custom having to go home. One of them goes missing. Bam, that's the premise of the first two episodes. We're looking for this kid named Will. Is there anything specific about the show itself that kind of jumps out at you when you revisit it? Elle's introduction, or Eleven, it threw me off a little bit. Like, I don't remember that introduction for her. She runs away from the hospital. She's in her gown. She's all dirty, and she steals the fries. That was a nice touch. And then you get a little preview of her powers while she's at this diner. It's subtle, and I can appreciate that, but considering how little really happens in these first two episodes, couldn't you show me something a little bit more interesting than a fan stopping? (laughs) You could. 
She shocks the boys later on in what, episode two? Oh, she closes a door three times. Yeah. And she locks it. I can do that too, you know. <laughs> it might have been fun to see her appear more dangerous. I think she comes off as so sad and she needs help right off the bat. You just automatically identify with her. And Mike and his friends, the kids that find her, they're smitten with her. Well, at least he is almost immediately. Imagine if she wasn't as vulnerable, a bit more neutral as to how we felt about her. Because then when you lock the door like that, that could have been like a nice scary ooh moment more so than it came off as. You also got early on, close to the end of episode one, where L gets found because the guy Benny calls social services to come take her away. Yeah, he's the owner of the diner. He gets shot. Two agents pop out in front of her. They have guns pointed at her. And she just knocks them out. She did more than that. I feel like she killed them. Probably did. But she's also like, what, four feet (laughs) at this point? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Roughly middle school, you know? She just took down two grown agents. Didn't get hurt. Didn't get touched. I feel like there's not much we could do. They already showed how hard she is, you know? Rewatching this, I've realized how unlikable Nancy is. Oh, Nancy's the typical man. (laughs) She's insensitive to Barb, her best friend, and she uses Will's disappearance as a cover with her mom to go see her boy toy Steve (laughs) instead of attending a vigil. (laughs) See, I don't remember. Was the vigil true? I think the vigil was true. I think it actually happened, but it just happened to coincide perfectly. I don't think there was a vigil. Oh, the vigil was a lie, too? I don't recall seeing any moments from that or seeing anybody at school talk about it. That's true, yeah. And a small town, if there really was a vigil, her mom should have already heard about it. She probably did already hear about it if it existed, yeah. Knowing what we know about the series, how well do you think these episodes serve the larger narrative or that maybe felt misleading? Nancy's best friend, Barbara, feels like she's going to stick around for a while. I can't think of any other show where a character that has such little screen time caused such an uproar with fans. All the kids, the group, Mike, Lucas, Dustin, Will, Elle, they all stick around. But uh, Barbara, Nancy's best friend, doesn't stick around. So it kind of hurts your feelings, I guess, a little bit. It doesn't hurt mine. It was good. Felt like no one's safe when that happened. The nature of the Demogorgon, the thing that grabbed that scientist at the beginning, and those eerie phone calls that Joyce gets, it feels like the show is going to end up being more demonic or possession stuff than the attempt to make the weirdness science-based like they do later on. There are details that feel like they were thrown in for drama instead of adhering to any logic within the universe. It seems like the phone calls that are coming from the other side where Will is trapped make zero sense, and I don't think they ever come up again later in the series. I want to say they don't, but I remember season two, they do a little bit of that. They start explaining the science. They explain through it why it happens. But I don't recall that really being very satisfying. Or anybody else in two or three picking up a phone to talk to the mind flayer on the other end of the line. (laughs) They didn't play like they should have. They really should have done more with that. 
episode two leaves us off with the mom. You mentioned she gets a phone call. She thinks it's Will. She's trying to get Will to talk. Will talks. She says, show me a sign. And he turns on the music in his brother's room. The lights come on. I like that. But those details, being able to affect other things in the world, does that actually come back into play with people that don't have superpowers like Eleven? Honestly, no. No, yeah. Yeah. So it feels a little slipshod. That's all I'm saying, Stacy. Come on. Can't you see it? I see it. They're not totally planning on it to make sense in the lifetime of the series. It makes sense in the next three or four episodes. <laughs> but as the characters develop and the explanations develop, it's like, well, wait a second. What about what happened back in episode two? I'm trying to defend it, but I can't. <laughs> How do you think Stranger Things exercises that supernatural tone? In these first two episodes, I go with the monster that you can't see, the Demogorgon in this case. It's weird. Like, I can't see it, but I can hear it. People are dying to it. I'm aware of it. What does it look like, though? You know, just leave it to your imagination, which gets me. It's good and bad. When you look at the spooky stuff in these first two, like you say, mostly tied up with what you don't see. The scientist getting snatched up. You don't see what took him. Will and Barb literally disappearing. <laughs> you don't even see how they just disappear. That's not very arresting imagery, guys. This is a TV show where you hear and see things on screen. My favorite was when Will was getting kidnapped, man. And he's in the shed trying to load the rounds so he can shoot whatever's chasing him. It captivated the fear and everything perfectly in that scene. He's frantic and he's checking all the rooms and his brother and mother aren't there. And the dog's not helping you. <laughs> <laughs> He's never defending you, just letting you know something's coming for you. That dog would have been a much easier target. Why didn't the Demogorgon just take the dog? Yeah, why did they just eat the dog? They say that the Demogorgon is abducting people because it smells blood like a shark. Yeah. I don't remember Will. It didn't look like he really scraped himself up when he fell off his bike. No, he didn't. But also, it looked like something more like a mind flare was after him. Oh, don't play these games with me, man. <laughs> Sticking with this theme of not seeing anything that's happening, who's to say it was the Demogorgon that grabbed him up? Don't make me hate this show more. <laughs> I make you hate it. I make you think a little harder about the show, man. That's it. They got paid to show me something, not for me to come up with my own story. <laughs> The best thing about the show in these episodes are the boys, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas. They are the show. And I think the best moment, it's a small one when Lucas is demonstrating a spit swear to Eleven. Oh, God, I remember that scene. By spitting in his hand and shaking Dustin's. And the very next shot is focused on Mike talking. But if you look in the slightly blurred background, you can see Dustin looking at his hand like, gross. <laughs> yeah, like he didn't believe you actually did it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those rare moments where like you caught an original reaction and something just done on the spot. It was good. I forgot how it plays. And for a split second, I was expecting Dustin to spit in his hand, too. Yeah, I did. Like he was ready for it. I was like, oh, no, right, he didn't. <laughs> Lucas did. It really helps make them feel like they're young characters. 
the relationship between them is pretty fun. Sense of this story takes place in the 80s. How do you think it would fare if it took place now instead of back then? It'd be a whole lot harder because people just can't go missing. They would have called someone on the phone and let them backtrace where this phone happened. Everything would be explained way too quickly. You could take this whole first season and make it two episodes and it'd be done if it happened today. But I think actually it might make it spookier because then you could write it so that even in the midst of 21st century tech, they can't explain what happened to Will or Barb. They look at camera footage. Maybe it's obscured and Will is just out of frame and we never see him again, but we saw another shadow and we don't know what's happening. Oh, you know, we have our phones and cameras, but we are stuck in this investigation. And if you have a scene like that with Hopper and he's telling Joyce and she's railing against him. Uh, Losing her stuff again. Why can't we find a kid in 2022? Why is this taking so long? He's like, I don't know, Joyce. That's the scary part. We've tried everything. I've got the FBI in on this and nothing's working. Okay, I can see. I see it working. But then you got to make sure like everybody loses their cell phones at the perfect time. Calling someone, they dropped it. I think you're putting too much faith in technology. Think about any scene in the show, the first couple episodes. How does it stop what's going on by having a cell phone? Let's jump ahead a little bit into the actual investigation that Hopper, the sheriff, is conducting. Sure, the communication is easier, but Will is not in the physical mortal plane. He's like in another dimension. It doesn't matter how much RAM is in your laptop. (laughs) You're not finding this kid. It doesn't matter if you can communicate with satellites. You're not finding him. What criticisms do you have for the first few episodes? The agents in Eleven's background, I would love a little more. I understand she's on the run. Scientists are chasing her down. They're killing people, making her like suicides. But nobody knows, and no one's going to go question these guys. That's a little strange to me. It moves pretty fast, too, doesn't it? It does. The only thing that doesn't move fast is the whole wheel situation. It's been like, I'm assuming about three days. Day three is episode three. Was I wrong that Hopper doesn't bring in the FBI on this? He didn't bring anybody in. Not even these two episodes. I want to say even later in the show, we get some weird government people talking to him, but I don't think he actually opens up a case with FBI. No, definitely not. He definitely doesn't. For such a small town, or at least I was getting the vibe that it was close-knit, I don't feel like Will's disappearance really affected them enough. Honestly, it didn't. No one was in shock. The dinner his friend Mike was having with his family showed it. (laughs) Hey, he just went missing. Whatever. He's missing, so you can't go outside anymore. (laughs) What? (laughs) If that's all we care about, is our kids going missing now? No. Like you said, small town, they should be closer. A lot closer. Mike and Nancy's mother... When she's saying, I don't want you going out late at night, she's not even saying it to Mike as if she's talking to one of the disappeared kid's friends. (laughs) It's just matter-of-factly like, don't go out on school night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. My big criticism for it, it's a real ensemble show, and I like Hopper. Joyce is okay, Nancy is annoying, Jonathan is whatever. They get a lot of screen time. Oh, heck yeah. I wish it just kept to Mike and his friends. 
and the sense of wonder and confusion about Will's disappearance involving Eleven could easily be expanded to take up like 50% more of at least the first two episodes. Give me more Lucas and Dustin instead of waiting to season two and three to flesh them out. Damn. Yeah. That's right, buddy. I'm going to tear this show down for you piece by piece. I can tell you're trying to. Poking holes and everything. And I'm also upset at how plot convenient Eleven's dialogue scenes are. She's portrayed like she only knows a dozen words. <laughs> but there's no reason she can't explain, at least in a rudimentary way, what's going on and help Mike's group. The way she uses that D&D board to obliquely reference the Upside Down <laughs> makes her come off as mentally challenged. <laughs> she's definitely socially challenged, but she's not deaf, dumb, or blind. She's only that obtuse because the show needs that to happen to stretch the show along. We could try to her being terrified and too scared, you know? <laughs> oh, don't get me started on all the time she screams and cries in this series. I feel like every time she does, though, somebody dies, man. Or at least gets hurt. Uh, yeah, there is that. Yeah. There's more to emotional stakes, folks, than crying and screaming. <laughs> I got nothing against Millie Bobby Brown, but when all those reviews came out lauding her performance and, oh, she's such a phenomenal actress, sure, not everybody can cry and yell on cue, but that's her sizzle reel. That's just about everything she's doing in this show. I would love to see more range from her if they would just write her better material, but that's what we're left with at least the first couple seasons. Well, before we move on to Carnival, out of the kids, which one are you? By default, Lucas. You racist. <laughs> you freaking racist. I didn't, I didn't say all that now, you know? No way. You just said what I was thinking. <laughs> how dare you get into my head <laughs> why would you say lucas skin color notwithstanding <laughs> out of all the characters i feel like i'm the only person that'd be like you know what the spit shake i would actually do that and then just i feel he's the most animated out of everybody he's also the most militant one throughout the first couple seasons he puts on that military bandana and <laughs> Doesn't he walk around with a knife at one point? Yeah. The Rambo of the group. And that type of character in real life should be the first one to die, so... Oh my god. <laughs> you can be him. Because he's the black guy, huh? You can be him in my group. He's the black guy's gotta die first. That's what it is. <laughs> no, because he's the guy with the knife. If you're gonna fight close quarters with a Demogorgon, you should get offed pretty quickly. <laughs> But you're also going to be the valiant one that's like, guys, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. Nope. He does it. That's what I like. And we'll be like, thanks, bro. Bye. <laughs> he definitely does it. He runs the other way. I would end up being Mike because I've had to be the unofficial leader. Not because I wanted to be. I think some people get the idea, oh, being the leader, the speaker of the group, that's going to be awesome. No, it just usually means people are looking at you for stuff and that you're supposed to be the responsible one. Yep, that's the best part. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. It fits. Uh, I can see you being Mike. Let's break for a sec so I can mention a few things about the podcast. We're on Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, and more. 
please like, comment, and subscribe. Reach us directly via the screen companion at gmail.com. Let us know which of our recommendations worked for you and what topics you'd like us to do next. Also, if you want to support TSC with a few bucks, head on over to Amazon and get the host's sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds. After hearing me complain so much, perhaps you're curious how I'd tell a story. Available in both digital and print formats. And thank you for listening. Let us move on to Carnival from 2003 to 2005. While they were canceled prematurely, they did wrap up a lot of things that are started in these first couple episodes. It is 1934 America, and the supernatural is alive and well, but in decline as society trades in wonder for reason. You got Ben Hawkins, who has just buried his mother, and he joins a traveling carnival in the Midwest. At the same time, Brother Justin Crow is a Methodist minister out in California, and both of them are affected by visions, and they harbor supernatural abilities. In these first two, Ben is getting to know the Carnies, while Brother Justin is forming a new ministry for the influx of migrants in a small town, because this is the Great Depression. Stacy, you are a first-timer. I didn't know it existed, honestly. Did the flash-forwards, slash, flashbacks, slash, vision inserts build your interest in the overall mystery, or was it annoying or felt super annoying? <laughs> I did not like it at all. It just threw me off. I know, it annoyed me too, because I forgot how many times it happens in the first two episodes. And when the second episode hit, towards the end, it finally started making sense, started getting it. But the whole first episode, I was like, this is too much. What's going down here? Brother Justin and Ben, do you feel like you know how they're aligned already in these first two episodes? As in, who's going to be the ultimate good guy and who's going to be the bad guy? Honestly, no. I know Brother is a little kooky. Whipping himself. Is he staying with his sister? Is that who she is? Brother Justin, yeah, that's his sister. That's a weird relationship in itself. Um, <laughs> On a lot of levels. The fact that he shows you your sin is kind of creepy, man. And in the first episode, when he catches a lady at one of his services stealing money from the collection plate, and he actually thinks he's not doing it, that it's God or some other force that's making her spit up coins. Yeah, which is crazy. He just made a small fortune off that lady. <laughs> he does look down at one point, and the coins were illusionary. Oh, they're illusion. Oh, I didn't notice that part. Okay. He just made her go crazy. Crazy for the Lord. You get very little indications of what Eleven's powers are. In the first two episodes of Carnival, telepathy, visions, healing are actually things Brother Justin and Ben can do themselves. I just found it weird, crazy, and out of this world. These people do some crazy stuff beyond the supernatural. It's like godly. Going through some of the supernatural powers exhibited by multiple characters in this show, dream reading, visions of the past, future, present, telepathy, persuasion slash mind control, <laughs> the baggage trailer that appears out of nowhere and then goes back to nothingness. Yeah, that exists. I guess they can control pocket universes. 
you get to examine what would it really be like to have these abilities? What would you do with them? What would be considered good or bad? I want you to watch more of it. <laughs> I don't know if I can watch more, man. The music I didn't like. So you didn't like the opening credits? Definitely did not. That's the first episode. The second episode, the music got better. The score just went from like a 2 to about an 8 out of 10, and 10 being amazing. It starts off really, really rough. You don't really feel the show until the last 5 to 10 minutes. Then it's like, oh, okay, you passed me a soda. I'm sipping on it. I want some more now. You know, you gave me just this little taste at the end. Then want you to continue on. I realize I'm defending a corpse. This show has been dead for years now. It pulled me in in the first 10 minutes. Whoa. Are you saying when Ben is in that Dust Bowl house with his dying mother, the guy from the bank that's come to bulldoze his house and the carnies show up, you didn't get into it? No, not really. The only thing I got into, they point out that Ben was fresh from a chain gang because he's still sporting his bracelet. Okay, there might be something to this guy. <laughs> I'm not sure because it took place in a certain time period. All the uh, the words they use, I got a list of words here, man. Rube, Shanghai, Carnies, a whelp. Pie hole. Yeah, pie hole. Marked. What is all this stuff? This is definitely taking place <laughs> in 1934. They hit it on the head. I love shows that have specific dialogue. And for a second, let's think back to the Expanse episode. There was a lot of jargon in that, and I don't remember you throwing nearly as much of a hissy fit that there were words you didn't understand. I think because I could get to the context. In this one, there's no context at all. They just threw the words at me. Like I knew it. Oh, come on. I feel like you were playing too much with your cat at that moment. No. Between the two characters, Ben and Brother Justin, I'm feeling like you're telling me you preferred Brother Justin's story. I didn't prefer it, but it was a little more interesting. It caught me quicker. The actual story or the character? Character and a story. And I started seeing more like his daily routine, what he does, how people like him, how they don't like him, what his powers are. Just overall, he came out more flushed in just these first two episodes than Ben did. Ben was all secretive, not wanting to tell him by anything, trying to lay low. He's a lot like Eleven in that regard. Why is it you let it slide for her, but not him? <laughs> the backstory, she's young. You can see where she's coming from. Like You actually see the facility and everything. You get a taste of how scary it is there. While Ben is like, I was in jail. I was locked up. You're never going to find out about it. You're never going to hear about it. What about Ben's abusive mother and calling him filth? His mother was obviously crazy. <laughs> she, was, she had some screws loose, man. So it's like if you were to see him uh, at a diner, you'd just say, hey, Ben, get over it. She was crazy. I know it. You know it. Stop dwelling on it. Yeah, actually kind of like that guy with the, <laughs> the leg. Because I know a lot of people nowadays would be furious at that scene where uh, Sophie almost got raped. Our hero Ben saves her. But then she goes back and tells her father figure, Jonesy, about it. And Jonesy, he takes the typical 1930s attitude. Well, you were asking for it. Shouldn't have gone alone. This show has managed to rub you in a lot of wrong ways. Yeah. Can you give me some favorite performances? Our pastor. He is awesome. He plays the good guy, but a villain at the same time perfectly. 
in these first two at least, Brother Justin, eminently watchable. The way he can play confused and vulnerable and then switch on a dime to being a righteous sadist. Yep. (laughs) Helps, too, that he's got the cloth to hide behind. Makes him a figure of authority. It's scary to think of what he might do under the guise of righteousness. It's beyond scary. Or what good he could do, because by the end of the second episode, he's got a new building to minister prayer with his flock. His new flock that a lot of the wealthier community doesn't appreciate, but he's been chosen. By who and for what, we shall see. Every time I get to the end of the show, I'm like, oh, they explained a lot just now in the last five minutes. And they left me a little nugget for next time. But see, it's not a bad watch, though. You gotta prep for it and know what's going on. Try to pay attention to everything. It matters so much. Every detail plays into a larger story. They're not jerking you around, and they are going to explain things, and there is a consistency. So you can pat yourself on the back. Oh, I noticed that one detail. I wonder if it's going to matter later on. And it does. I hope so, because I'm still waiting for a little girl to come back. A little bow-legged chick. <laughs> the one that he healed. Yeah. Did you notice there was a darkness to that scene? Oh, heck yeah. As he healed her, everything started dying around them. And then she runs after them, bow-legged, and everything starts dying as she's running. I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> Based on what we're seeing and when the shot cuts out, either all of the crops died or only the half that we saw on screen died. Either way, she's got a lot of explaining to do. It's not free. If Ben or somebody else in the show is going to heal somebody, it's going to exact a cost. Like his mom said, he's filth. <laughs> it's like she was sitting there watching the show with you. <laughs> I think she was in spirit. Ma'am, what do you think about the show? It's filth, Stacy. Then you high five. How do you think the show exercises its supernaturalness? How does it come out? You got the psychic, Sophie, who I feel she's not really psychic. She's more borrowing her mom powers, per se. She's channeling her catatonic mother in the trailer with her. Her mother is the one that actually can see these things. A telepathic bond tells Sophie what to tell the customer, but Sophie herself can't do that. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I feel like she's a fraud. (laughs) (laughs) But our boy Ben, he is not. And the mom knows it, which I like about it. How about the fact that there's a cooch show (laughs) run by a family? See, that's another word, the cooch show. What's a cooch show? If you're telling me by context clues on screen, you don't know what that's about? I don't. I need an explanation, a definition. You just want me to get dirty by explaining this. (laughs) You know, you saw the big boobies just like I did. (laughs) Oh, the European muscle dancing? (laughs) That's the way the father frames it. (laughs) as he's barking to the crowd. Are there any criticisms you have left for this show? (laughs) (laughs) The pacing is a bit slow in these first two, especially moving the narrative forward. And I wonder if it would be stronger with less dialogue given to the sideshow acts. Not that I want them removed, because the feel of the carnival is a really nice touch. Maybe just include a few of them speaking per episode. 
we're talking like a dozen where shots are devoted to them, where dialogue is given to them. You can take that time and give it to the main characters. There's a lot more backstory with Brother Justin and fleshing out his side of the show. In these first two episodes, his supporting cast, his story, it's like 20% of the whole thing. It is, but it's the best 20%. Ben has the whole carnival around him. There's a plethora of characters to get into. But with Brother Justin, you've got his sister, some of the parishioners, and then the elder priest. Episode 2, the opening. To me, it came across as a horrible sex joke, man. That was awesome. The diner scene, pastor walks in. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. What? A pastor walks in? A carny walks in? (laughs) a soldier walks in the bar (laughs) I see what you mean now something was bound to happen I was waiting for a joke I was waiting for somebody to tell me something now we're moving on to the screen companion scorecard I'm going to want you to rate this stuff from 1 to 5 3 being net positive this is all for Stranger Things and then we'll do Carnival and answer thinking about the show on its own merits, not compared to the other. By itself, okay. The main character, 11. Uh, I give her three. Agreed. The supporting cast. Oh, by default, they all get a five. <laughs> Even the ones I hate. I gave it a four. How about the effects, practical and visual effects? Get a four. Well, what are you basing that on? It's obvious they're visual effects, but they look really good, you know? What are you pointing to specifically, the part where L gets a nosebleed? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, wow, what an incredible effect that was. <laughs> when we didn't see the monster pull that scientist up in the elevator? Ooh, how long did the visual effects guy spend on that? I was mentioning the end of episode two, when Barbara was eaten. You actually get a clear view of the creature's mouth. Do they? Yeah, yeah. That's the second episode, yeah. not the third, yep, second where we episode. actually see her. Yeah, she gets eaten at the very end of the second episode. The creature attracted the blood. They try to put that in there. Drop falls off her thumb. She got cut earlier. Yeah. The knight trying to shotgun the beer. And then it hits the water. The lights flash. It goes dark. And you see the mouth come down above her head if you're paying attention. like It just eats her whole. That's episode two, man. I'm willing to wager money on this, dude. That's how confident I am. That's how confident I am in this right now. You see the inside of the mouth and all the teeth. So you know, she's not coming back. But it's in the beginning of the third episode where we actually see where she went. We don't see the upside down in this. We don't, but we at least see the creatures, you know? The special effects for the animation of the creature's mouth. We see some special effects. We see some. And that's enough to give it a four? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I gave it a two. Oh, what? Oh, oh, man. It's just not that memorable. It's not that arresting. The effects. Okay. Can I ask you a question? <clears throat> a sphincter says what? <laughs> this is your ever humble host coming to you from the future as I edit this episode. Now, you just heard me be confused as Stacy was talking about the Demogorgon attacking Barb. 
you see its face open up and, oh, what an amazing shot. Well, I went back, watched the very end of episode two. No wonder I forgot that it happened that way, because the shot Stacy's talking about lasts for all of half a second. So incredibly brief, they might as well have just used a cardboard cutout as a stand-in for the monster. And now back to the original discussion. Well, let's talk about the atmosphere, the sets, the music, the costumes. What would you give it? Overall, a four. Mm. Uh, I gave it a three. Aww. How about the supernatural suspense horror part of it? I give that a three. Mm. It's obvious you're a shill. I gave it a two. Oh, God. <laughs> it's got a couple moments, but it's a lot of buildup. I think that's what I like, the buildup, man. Like, you know it's coming. You know it's about to hit. And then it happens. Yes. It's here. At the beginning of the show, it would make sense. Spend some time building up the characters, the relationships. Then that also means there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in the last two or three episodes of the season. So it feels very back-heavy. Yeah. How about the mystery? What would you give Stranger Things? Three. Agreed. Mystery is good, but it's explained so quick. You know what's happening. You know what's going on. It loses most of its flair. Around episode three or four, you really know, okay, L did that because it's our world just flipped upside down. Alternate dimension kind of thing. Parallel world, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that's like the big catch. The whole thing. Like that, this is it. This is our big reveal. That's like halfway through the show. And they blow their load. Once you catch on to that, the show is still good, but it's not amazing anymore. Retroactively watching Stranger Things, the mystery loses a lot of its flavor because it's very traditional. We're not going to get Will back until the very end of the season. Taking more chances, being more different, that maybe we would actually get him back three episodes from the end of the season has some twists that make you go, oh, I was expecting this to take the whole 10 episodes, but we've already gotten back. What? Oh, where's the story going now? But this, they tease you with some clues, and it's like, no, no. We've got six or seven more episodes of these. <laughs> so we can't get Will back until the end. Now for switching over to Carnival. What do you give Ben Hawkins? Just these first two episodes. Come here. I know nothing more, nothing else. Ah, I want to give him a three, but I can't. I got to give him a two. That's all right. I gave it a three. There's definitely room for him to grow. How about the supporting cast of Carnival? I actually give them a four. Yeah, me too. How about the effects? I got to put myself back in time, and I give it a four. There aren't a ton of effects in these first two. The stuff involving Brother Justin and the visions. You got the plants dying. You got the baggage cart. That little pickle baby that opens its eye. Yeah. And then the flashbacks, too. Flashbacks were good. Oh, yeah, the explosions in the World War I segments. And then there's the exploding glass during the diner scene. Yeah. How about the atmosphere, the sets, the costumes, the music? I don't want to give it a high score, but I have to. I got to give it a five. This was an expensive show to make. 
I feel like you see it on screen. What people are wearing, what's on people's dressers, the cars, everything looks nice and period specific. I felt like I was in the 30s. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I love period stuff, but there's always a part of me when it takes place, let's say, before the 80s, where I'm thinking, hmm, I got a good feeling Ben and the rest of these people in this carnival, they probably wouldn't like me coming around. (laughs) Yep, yep. There aren't that many characters in the show that are really racist, that are shown to be racist, that you would expect for the time period. Ben and others, they're that type that's like, oh, no, I don't look at race. Okay, well, you were obviously written that way. (laughs) (laughs) The Dust Bowl, Oklahoma, Ben, you'd be racist. Come on. You gotta be. I'm not holding it against you, buddy, but you would be. Come on. Did you notice the one shot during the opening credits with the Ku Klux Klansman? I did. That threw me off at the beginning. Holding the baby? Yeah. I was like, wait, what? What is Frank got me watching here? And it was real. That's real footage. Oh, dang. Oof. How about the mystery? It's off the charts, but it's like a 10. Because you just don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. It's nothing's explained fully. It's always lingering. Until the end of the episode, they give you... Oh, here's a snack. (laughs) We don't have the appetizer ready, nor your main course, nor your dessert. You just get a snack, and next episode you might get some water to go with it. (laughs) The mystery I gave a four. I thought it was enough that opens up the possibilities of what you think can happen in the show, and hopefully it has you coming back. How about the supernatural suspense horror elements? A three. I gave it a little higher. I said four. They're out in the desolate dust bowl, and when it's nighttime and you just got the lights of the carnival going, there's already something spooky about that. Even before any of the weird stuff starts happening. (laughs) (laughs) Going on to TLDL. Too long, didn't listen. I'm going to ask you some questions to wrap up the show. Try to give me short answers. I will try. Looking at Stranger Things as a whole through the seasons that you've seen, give me a letter grade on how well you feel the show has delivered based on the promise of the first season. Damn, that's a loaded one. Hell yeah. Season three is just, I didn't finish it because I'm lenient and I liked it so much. B minus. If you had to omit or kill off one of these characters from Stranger Things to tighten the show up, who would it be? Joyce, Nancy, Jonathan, or Steve? That'd be Joyce. That'd be a good kill. Progress the show really quick. Do you feel like Carnival offers enough spooky stuff to keep from feeling like just a period drama? Oh, definitely. Heck yeah. So much going on. If you're in a fight against evil, would you rather take Eleven, Brother Justin, or Ben Hawkins? I can't choose just based off these first two episodes for anybody, man. Can you tell me who I'm fighting? Um, I will specify that it is a physical being. Ben Hawkins. Because uh, he can bring you back to life if you die, man. So neither show has a strong antagonist in the first few episodes. Do you think it hurts either of them? I think Stranger Things a little bit. 
because they start mentioning something, but you still don't have a clear picture of what the antagonist is, really. You've got the monster and the weird secret government agency. You don't know which is which. Are they the same thing? What's sillier on screen? The catatonic woman regaining her senses just long enough to say something cryptic to Ben and then just immediately fall over. I feel like she was setting him up. (laughs) Joyce getting interdimensional phone calls from the upside down. Like how much is the AT&T bill on that one? (laughs) Or the circus bear in that World War I trench scene. It's got to be the catatonic woman. (laughs) Hands down. The circus bear gets explained at the end of episode two, so it's got to be catatonic. What makes less sense? That no one else saw the baggage trailer when Ben went into it. That the government agent felt the need to off Benny in his own diner. Like, did he really know too much? (laughs) Or that Barb would be hanging out at Steve's pool by herself, considering Nancy just cut her loose, she wasn't having fun, and she was against going there in the first place. See, in the context of things, it had to be Barb. I feel like if she's going to sulk, she's going to sulk on the way back to her car. Yeah, or at least downstairs by herself. And lastly, Stacy, who's the worst parent award going to go to? Is it the clueless Mrs. Wheeler whose kids seem to always get one over on her? The abusive telepath catatonic woman Apollonia whose daughter Sophie is the only one that can hear her? Ben's ultra-religious mom who won't touch him? Or Will's dad being nonchalant about his son's disappearance? Ben's mother. She gets the award. (laughs) She knew he had some powers. And then get mad at him for using them. Come on. You make no sense, woman. Any final words before we wrap up? Carnival is good, but you just gotta not stick it out, but just more catch all the details. You gotta catch them all. And that's hard. <laughs>